My name is Patty Hung, and I live in Orinda, California, and I have run Boston for 34 consecutive years. So this year, 2021, will be my 35th run. My name is Amanda Waters, and I live in Ashland, Massachusetts, and this will be my 16th Boston Marathon. And I am Cherie Louise Turner. I live in Somerville, Massachusetts, and this year will be my second Boston Marathon. I am also your host and producer, and you are listening to Strides Forward, where we feature stories of women marathon and ultra runners. This episode is the second in our Roads to Boston 2021 series, where we're following the journeys of nine runners from around the world to this legendary event, which takes place this year on October 11th. In non-pandemic times, the Boston Marathon takes place in April. On a Monday holiday that's unique to Massachusetts, Patriots Day. In 2022, the marathon is set to return to that date. Also to know, the race is, and forever has been, put on by the Boston Athletic Association, or the BAA as we call it around here. In the last episode, we discovered what got all nine of us athletes started in running to begin with. Now we're taking a look at why we marathon. Why did we choose to start running races that are 26.2 miles? For this part of the journey, I wanted to start with Amanda and Patty because the Boston Marathon has long loomed large for them. Their many years returning to this race attest to that. The reason they run marathons and running Boston are inextricably linked, and it's about far more than the act of running. We'll catch up with the rest of the women in this series, Yao, Rochelle, Nicole, Zara, Jana, and Maria, over the next two episodes to find out what got them into marathons and why Boston. Because for all of them, this will be their very first time running this incredible event in person. And I can say with absolute certainty, as the person in this crowd who's had just that one-time taste of this event, they've got a lot to look forward to. And these stories are going to shed some light on that. Amanda's early exposure to the Boston Marathon starts to reveal why this event is like no other. I uh, I grew up pretty close to the start line of the Boston Marathon, and my mom would take us every year on Patriots Day to cheer on the different runners. And I used to love getting high fives from the various runners. And I, I announced at some point when I was in middle school that I was going to run the Boston Marathon. We would wait for the women to come by and be really excited to see all the women running. And I do remember even at a a young age, just being so impressed that I could watch world-class athletes as well as the local people running or, you know, like it didn't really matter. Like we could be on the sideline watching the best running athletes in the world and, and it was all just available. And so it was really inspiring and and I also was a just a very big fan of um, 
watching like Uta Pippig in the 90s, like she was my biggest hero probably. <laughs> she was just so impressive, especially in the 1996 Boston Marathon, where she had to overcome so much. And that was the 100th Boston Marathon. It looked like it wasn't to be. Uta is not having her best race. Um, she's off the pace here. We're taking a look at her now. I just don't know what the problem she, is had some health issues going on, um, some gastrointestinal issues happening, and it was just incredible to watch her strength and watch her hold on. Despite the embarrassment and discomfort, she managed to stay at or near the front of the pack until mile 19. That's where Kenya's Tegla Roop surged ahead. Then, in the last mile of the race, an astonishing thing happened. It was just incredible to watch her still persevere and, and, and win. Triumph of perseverance, Pippig came from behind to blow by LaRoupe in Kenmore Square, much to the amazement of everyone watching. Ah, look at that big grab! She's like, I'm going to do it! I'm going to do it! The history was made of the 100th running here at the Boston Marathon. Una Pippig became the first woman to win three consecutive, and is she the um, champion? I was, I don't know, that was very impressive to me to watch another person be able to do something like that. And it definitely left an impression. These impressions of watching history get made by heroes, of cheering on local runners, of experiencing the excitement of the Boston Marathon, would keep Amanda committed to that youthful declaration that one day she'd run too. I had a gym teacher in middle school, and he told me, to wait until I was 24, 25 to make sure like all my growth plates had finished and stuff like that. Um, so I was counting down those, those years. So at what point did you start running marathons? I waited till I was 24, like the gym teacher suggested. So Amanda waited and spectated. She ran shorter distances in middle and high school and through college. And for many years before she took her first strides on the course as a marathon runner, she was also a volunteer for the Boston Marathon. Every Patriots Day Monday was reserved for experiencing this great event. Yeah, I, I would even come back from college so that I could watch and volunteer at the race. I, I just love the event, everything about it. Amanda counted down to when she could run herself. On the other side of the country, Patty Hung became motivated to run this event for very different reasons. She had discovered her love of running on a fateful day when she just decided to give it a try. Then she found a local running club, she made some running friends, and she learned about the local running scene. Then I got into the 10K races and... And really like that. And I was doing pretty well. Not really much of a star, but kind of always having a goal to beat my own record. And that was kind of cool. So I then started thinking about, well, maybe I could go a little bit further than a 10K and go into a 13-mile run. And and eventually, Patty, a high school math teacher who'd grown up in Boston worked up to the marathon distance. She completed a few marathons, and she recognized how going after a challenge like running Boston could be about a lot more than running far. I had a situation in my life where I got divorced, and uh, my life was 
pretty much in uh, disarray. I wanted to get, I, I wanted a purpose in my life so I could help my own psyche get through the challenges of um, being a mom with three young children, no, no husband, and I was teaching at the time. And I wanted something that would challenge me to be strong in my mind and have a purpose. And I decided I'm going to run the Boston Marathon. And living and growing up in Boston, it was something that I thought that that will help me get through my challenges in life. Patty wanted to reconnect with her Boston roots, and she wanted the challenge of getting into and running Boston. Just like it is today, Patty couldn't just sign up for the Boston Marathon. She had to earn her way in. And also like today, qualifying on time at another marathon was how most runners got their entry. Patty had run those first few marathons, but her finishing time was around four hours. To get her Boston qualifier or her BQ, she would have to run quite a bit faster. I had to run a 3.20, 3-hour, 20-marathon, and I did it. And it, it was like a miracle because I, I bettered my, my marathon by about a half hour. And I, I was in. It was the most glorious thing. This miraculous performance was no doubt also fueled by the empowering bond of family. I'm from Polish background, and all my family's from Boston. I have my cousins, my aunts, my uncles. My, my mom's family was all there. And I wanted to run not only for myself and all my challenges that were happening, but I wanted to run for them. I wanted to go back to Boston and say to them, listen, I'm going to do this this year, and I'm going to try to do it every year. So we can connect, and maybe some of you will run in in the Boston Marathon with me. From her very first Boston, then, Patty had her sights set on making this event a tradition. Amanda, of course, was coming at her first Boston start somewhat in the reverse. She was eager to experience what had already become a beloved tradition, but she wanted to do it from a new perspective as one of the runners on the course. The circumstances of her getting into her first Boston were quite a bit different from what Patty had experienced, because there are some other ways to get entry into Boston that don't require you to run another marathon and get a qualifying time. Amanda was set on making Boston her very first marathon, and every year the BAA gives invitational numbers to some of the Boston area running clubs to gift to deserving members of their club, say, people who have been leaders in the running community, or perhaps those who had volunteered at Boston for years already and who had waited for over a decade to run the race. A club member like Amanda, who indeed did say yes when her running club offered her an invitational number in 2005. This was it. She was running Boston. And finally, the day had come that Amanda had waited for for so many years. She was going to run further than she'd ever run before, 
and she was going to experience the Boston Marathon for herself. The crowds, as well as this storied course, which takes on a character all its own in anyone's Boston Marathon story, its unique features and highlights add to the dramatic highs and lows that help define what makes this event so singular. The course is point-to-point, and it travels through eight towns, starting in Hopkinton and finishing in Boston's historic Copley Square. For marathon runners, this course serves up challenges that are more than just the distance, but it also provides all the highs that everyone anticipates. And that gun goes off, it's like your heart almost stops for one second. And you pause and realize, this is really going to happen. I'm at the starting line of the Boston Marathon. Early on in the race, I loved it. And, and you know, seeing the kids out there, um, remembering that I had been a kid out there, I was high-fiving people um, and just soaking it all in, feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm finally here. I remember... Um, you know, I went out too fast, of course, and you know, a lot of things that first-time marathoners have issues, especially, and, and first-time Boston marathoners have issues with. Yes, a common mistake for marathoners is to run too fast in the early miles, only to suffer later on. But it's tough to hold back. You are fit, and you are rested, and you are ready to go. The excitement of the crowd is buzzing all around you, and add to that, the beginning miles of Boston make it so, so easy to make this mistake. It starts at about 500 feet above uh, sea level and then ends at sea level. And the first part of the race, you actually drop down pretty quickly. The Boston Marathon in the early miles is mostly a downhill affair. There's all that fast downhill in the beginning miles. And then there's that famous halfway point that leaves a memorable impression on everyone. The women of Wellesley. It's as if these very enthusiastic young women threw a party and 40,000 of their friends decided to stop by. The Wellesley Scream Tunnel will raise the hair on your skin, it'll give you the chills, it will ring in your ears, and it is going to be a memory that sticks with you for the rest of your life. The famous Wellesley Scream Tunnel. It's a destination everyone looks forward to for the blast of energy you are certain to receive. But then, a few miles down the road, as you enter the town of Newton, a whole new reality hits. Those punishing hills, they all come later as we march through. And then, of course, the, the hills in Newton kind of hit you right when your body is sort of starting to break um so they did the hills just come at this this point in the course that's really hard physiologically for you and at the end of the ups and downs that roll through newton comes the largest and certainly the most famous of all the hills in marathons it's at mile 20 and it is indeed many times a heartbreaker By the time they hit Heartbreak Hill, runners are craving encouragement, and they get it. We got to cheer them on. We got to help them get all the way up there. It's something we have to do. We try to push them and get them running. People are walking. They're hurting. So we give them all we can to get them going. Climbing Heartbreak Hill, I kind of was thinking, if I see my family, I'm going to quit. 
I'm, I can't do this anymore. And then when I got to the top of Heartbreak Hill, I saw them. They're trying to like help me, cheer me on. And I just glared at them. And I, I felt I still feel horrible about this because they were being super supportive. And I felt like I was super mean towards them. Um, and I just kept going. The hills are tough and your legs are aching. But now you're entering Boston and the crowds continue to swell with every mile closer you get to the finish. Heartbreak Hill, as you, you climb over that hill and then... And then the colleges, you have Boston College, and then you have Boston University. So you have all those colleges that you go by and all those wonderful kids just cheering you on. Well, then, of course, it's on Patriots Day. So now you've got a holiday, and you have all that beautiful crowd of people, all the fans out there for the runners. It's a great holiday for Boston. And then you have, of course, when you run past... Fenway Park, you got the baseball game going. Loretta hits into the air to deep left. The is back. It is up. It is gone. Yes, it's always a Red Sox doubleheader at Fenway on Patriots Day. After the hills of Newton, it's one landmark crowd after another. So the final miles become this dance between appreciating the great and growing enthusiasm all along the course and suffering through extreme fatigue, especially when you've gone out a little bit too fast and your legs just aren't having it anymore. It starts to make even the smallest undulations in the course feel monumental. I was actually really surprised in the last five miles uh, that there were, I say, still a few hills that I was not prepared for. And I remember just being shocked and being like, oh my gosh, no one told me about this mountain near mile 25. And then you are in the final mile. The iconic sit-go sign comes into view, and you approach that very last and oh-so-famous turn onto Boylston Street. And down that long straightaway lined with the biggest, deepest, loudest, most enthusiastic crowds yet that delivers you all the way to the finish line. But then I remember getting to the finish line and and going through the finish area and just being super happy and then finding my family and, and collapsing onto my mom's shoulder and just bursting into tears. But Patty's and Amanda's journeys aren't just about getting to Boston or doing it once. Their stories are about the enduring lure of this marathon, something that's kept Patty returning again and again for over 30 years. So I've got to ask, what keeps you coming back for so many? Like, that's a long time to keep coming back year after year. Yeah, that's a, that's an easy question. What what keeps me coming back is my family. It um, I get kind of choked up because they're, they're the best. I had aunts that were in wheelchairs that were on the sidelines waiting for me at the 13th mile mark, and just howling and just cheering me on and. And many of my, much of my family, my aunts and uncles have passed away, but my cousins are all there for me. 
my sons are there for me and they they are now my coaches they make me feel that i still can do this and most certainly that road goes both ways just like patty had intended all those years ago when she said and maybe some of you will run in, in the bossy marathon with me and that also happened so as the years started my cousin jackie started running and he got into boston through a charity organization through the leukemia organization and then as his family started growing up what his daughter started running with me and my sons started running with me and then people who were my family were all now running with me in boston and then just it just kept escalating to be a big family thing and then when i was teaching at miramani high school a few of my students started running boston and of course i had all these boston marathon uh bibs on my walls in my classroom and that inspired a lot of kids seeing oh my gosh you know we're in the track we're in cross country maybe we could do that for amanda her passion for the event also extends far beyond the physical act of running. Yeah, I, I think it's more about the people that I've connected with. And my whole family volunteers at the race. My mom's a start line captain with the corrals. Like she's the corral monitor captain. And so we, our household from an early age has always been about the, the Boston Marathon. And um, we've housed runners at, at my parents' house and now at my house, um, volunteers. Uh, at one point, I could probably have given you a full count of all the number of people that we've had just stay over who were either volunteering, running, or spectating for the Boston Marathon. And sometimes you keep returning because of the transcendent power you can experience through a challenge like a marathon. Patty had learned this early on when she used the marathon to get through her divorce. This, she knew, was an event she could lean on to help her through life's most difficult times. Oh, my. Um, well, I, I want to mention this. It's also um, one of the challenges of my life was that my middle son had passed away in 2017. So the the race in 2017 was very important to run for my son. And uh, it, it was important that I kept, of course, kept running. And now I'm running for my son in a spiritual way. So that is, um, it was glorious, sad, sad, <laughs> but it, it was important Amanda has also experienced the healing support of this race early in her marathon journey. Obviously, the first Boston Marathon was very memorable. And the following year was actually also very impactful because I started running for my cousin's baby, who unfortunately was very sick at Boston Children's Hospital. Um, and I wrote her name. Her name was Isabella. 
And I wrote her name down my arm and I got cheers the whole 26.2 miles. And I just felt like everybody was cheering for her to get better. And it, it just, it was just beautiful to hear her name and keep me going. It, it gave me a greater cause for my own running. Amanda also raised funds for the Boston Children's Hospital that year, which is something she's continued to do ever since. She now regularly runs as a time-qualified runner and as a charity runner. She's also a coach for the BAA charity team. So while a marathon from the outside can look solely like a hard physical activity that begins with a starting gun and ends at a finish line, It's also about so much more, including the unexpected moments along the way and the long-lasting impacts that continue to reverberate. In 2011, I struck up a conversation with a woman in the starting corral with me, and her name is Kara, and we ran the first 5K of the race together just talking. Um, She was from Atlanta, Georgia. She was also running for a charity as a qualified runner. And we both, we had like parallel lives basically. And over the following year, we started talking over social media. So, so I invited her to come and stay with us in 2012. And uh, she took me up on that offer. And again, we started in the same corral in 2012. And, and again, we ran, I think we ran the first six miles together and she got everybody to sing happy birthday to me it happened to be my birthday that day we're very close now um she actually was the officiant at our at um my husband and my wedding so the magic of the boston marathon i'm just gonna go ahead and put that out there because with an occasion that encompasses so much where there's such a concentration of energy that swells up on this one day of the year along this very specific 26.2-mile stretch of roads, it's hard to put it into words other than to say, well, yeah, it is magical. And it's no doubt the lure of that magic that's compelled us other seven women in this series to set our sights on the Boston Marathon. Stay tuned for when we delve into everybody else's journeys to becoming marathon runners, which we'll do over the next two episodes. Subscribe now so you don't miss that episode or any of the ones that follow. And of course, thank you for listening. We love telling these stories, but we couldn't do it without you. Your being here and sharing strides forward with others is what keeps us going. We also couldn't do this series without our incredible featured runners. A big thank you to Patty, Amanda, Rochelle, Zara, Maria, Nicole, Jana, and Yao. We also want to give a special thank you to the Boston Athletic Association for their help in this series, especially Chris Lotzbaum. The Strides Forward team includes me, Cherie Turner, your host and producer. Cormac O'Regan creates all the original music for every single episode and does sound design. And he does it from his studio in Cork, Ireland. 
April Mariner of Bonfire Collaborative does all the design work for the show, including our social media, website, merch, and logo. And she comes to you from Truckee, California. You can find April at bonfirecollaborative.com. Please join us in about a week for the next step along these Boston journeys. Until then, this is Cherie wishing you many healthy, joyful strides forward. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.